Um, anybody have a left groin that's hurt? Left groin. Good. All right. Um, one more thing. All right. So I'm gonna get, I was going to give a testimony of uh, financial testimony. You know, we, a few weeks ago, we've been doing, I did three weeks on tithes and offering, and the Lord had put on Jessica and I's heart to give $1,000 to uh, some friends of ours. <clears throat> and so we gave, we gave it to them, and then pretty soon after that, we had $4,000 given to us by somebody. And then Friday, I had one of my clients said, hey, can you meet me for lunch? I was like, yeah. And I thought we were just going to hang out for lunch. And I got there, and it was a surprise lunch for with a bunch of my other clients. It was like eight of my clients. And they all pitched in and gave me like $1,000. And so I just share that just to say God likes multiplying. I, t I told you he doesn't know how to add, right? He only knows how to multiply. And so when you, uh, and the key is just like following the Lord. You know, you don't go from here and be like, well, Travis and Jessica gave $1,000, so we get, I need to give $1,000. I used to think that way. That's why I'm saying that. Oh, that's the recipe. You know what I'm saying? And so like, don't do that. But just always just have your heart open because that was how it came about. We just were like, it was, uh, you know, Jessica, it was Jessica's idea. She ran it by me. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And, uh, and so anyways, when you, when you're obeying the Lord and you're listening to his voice, there's, there's always good fruit. So. Yeah. And the other thing, this is kind of the first time think this has happened but these people that the lord put on my heart to give to like don't need any money it was a little bit weird you know because it's not like like i know that they they probably didn't need a thousand dollars but the lord just i was just with the lord like chatting and i just had the idea to give them a thousand dollars and i was like well, that probably isn't me because it's not like i walk by and they like don't have you know so I just want to share that because it's definitely not go give somebody $1,000 and it's not like go find someone who needs something. It's really just like as God like puts it on your heart, just do it and like let him be faithful and let him produce the results that he loves to do. So it's just um, a matter of obedience, but um, there's so much breakthrough that happens with it because it really did bring breakthrough in some areas in that relationship, it was just, it's just amazing, but it's, um, it's fun to obey God. Yeah, I mean, the, the guys at hospital administrator, they actually give 50% of their income away, and they, so, and she, she has a, a business of her own, and they're easily making six figures a year, both of them probably, and so it doesn't, it wasn't about that. It's just like, what's the, and that's another thing to tell you about, like, the extravagance of God, like how the prosperity of God is that he is, um, 
He's not like, well, I've only got $10,000 in heaven, so we got to give it to the, the place that needs it the most. He's not, that's not how he does things. I mean, he, make, he can make money appear. You know, he reproduces food. You know what I'm saying? He makes, you know, along the lines of what Claire, Claire's picture is, has anybody seen on, on Facebook the magnified snowflakes? Has anybody? That is, I'm just, I was, oh, my stars. Every single snowflake is so different and so extravagant. It is crazy. Go f- Google that. Not right now, but go Google it after church. Magnified snowflakes. And you're going to, it's mind-blowing because every single snowflake is different. Trillions. Trillions. I mean, anyways. So, uh, all right. We're going to get into uh, the message. I want to talk about being overshadowed by God. And um, if you have your Bible, you can turn here or you can uh, read along with me. Um, but this is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is part of the Christmas story. Um, but I want to, when I was reading this, there's a few phrases that, that jumped out to me. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, first off, I want, I want us to put ourselves in Mary's shoes. Because according to a tradition, she was probably 13 to 15 years old. Very young. I was... My first memory thinking about middle school was eating a pound bag of Skittles and a large, super large Coke at a movie. And I was just like, well, how much candy can I get? How much sugar can I get in my body right now? Meanwhile, Mary's being visited by an angel. You're going to carry the savior of the world. (laughs) So greetings, favored one. 
the Lord is with you. And so it says that Mary was perplexed at this statement. And so he's calling what he's doing. He's saying she's favored, saying the Lord is with you. And what I was, I was thinking about this and I was, why did this perplex Mary or even like kind of confuse her? And I think it's a lot of times like Mary, she's taken, she was surprised by this. It's like, I've, I'm favored. The Lord is with me. And sometimes we, we think like that. We're like, I've got favor. God, God's with me. And I, feel, I just heard the Lord just say this, like, we have more favor than we realize. Like, we're his favorite. That's what favor means. We're his favorite. You're in Jesus Christ, number one. But then he, he sent Jesus to die for you. So you, you've got to be his favorite. And God being God, making trillions and trillions and trillions of snowflakes all different, has the ability to make us all his favorite. <laughs> so we have more favor than we realize. Romans 8.32 says this. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He will give us all things that we need for life and godliness. It's not being held back. It's not being restricted. It's just a matter of our faith getting connected to that and changing the way that we see God, changing the way we see ourselves. I've got favor. You know, sometimes, you know, favor is more than like a good parking spot during the Christmas holidays. It's a lot more than that. You know, I had a boss. Um, his name was Steve Powders, one of best bosses I ever had but we were we worked mitigation which is what Greg Goldcap does right now but we'd walk in and he'd make a bid on a job they'd accept it and he was he was a believer and he did he did this thing and that we he didn't call it the favor dance but I dubbed it the favor dance he did he went favor 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 he was just this guy that had no he had no filter you know one time he had a carpet knife. I don't know if you know what a carpet knife is, but he couldn't find his carpet knife, and he went, and he was his favorite carpet knife. He went, Papa, I want my knife. He was this, this kind of guy. And he's looking through his truck. He went, ha, ha, ha. He pulled out his carpet knife. He went, Jesus. And he just threw it like super high in the air. We're all like, whoa. He let it land on the ground. He, he did his little favor dance. And so me and Jessica, we've adopted that in the house. Sometimes we just we favor, favor, favor. Job actually talks about skating on oil. He says, man, I remember when my steps were bathed in butter. Some translations call it oil. But you just imagine, that's, you just skating on the grace. Skating on the grace. That should be another hymn. And so you're just the grace of God, the favor of God. You walk, that's what you say this. My steps are bathed in butter. I am skating on grace. All right. So you, we need to pray like we're God's favorite. Part of the starting point of that is, is being honest with God. 
I always tell this story, one of the more recent. I joke around because, with, with Jessica about this because Jessica's a little bit ahead of me in knowing she's God's favorite. I'm catching up. But she, uh, before we got our Yukon, she was walking through uh, Publix or something like that, and we, she saw, we, we were looking for a, a family vehicle that's four by four we could tow stuff with. And uh, she's walking through Publix, and she saw the, a beige, golden color Yukon XL. And she said, God, that's ex- I want that, and I want it by February or March. No, she said, I want it by March. That's all she said. And so we, uh, you know, we started looking. We started looking for, for cars, and we went to the dealership. It was going to be too much, so we didn't get... Yukon there, and then uh, her dad knew we were looking for a car, a Yukon, and uh, he said, what color uh, y'all need on that Yukon? Everybody in our family's country, and so we're like, we're, it's, you know, beige color, like kind of golden beige. He's like, silver or black, which that's the only ones I got. We, you want silver or black? And we're like, well, silver is fine. And so he was at he was at a uh, car auction, and so he bought it, and we paid him for it. But when he drove up to our yard, guess what color that thing was? Golden beige, with some sweet rims on it. <laughs> Y'all ever seen the rims in our Yukon? When you clean those things, man, they blind you. <laughs> and so we were we thought we're I mean he said silver or black. Comes back with a beige one. And it's just like, all right, favor, favor. And so that's just, but like Jessica, I was like, I said, honey, just, um, we need this. Start praying for this. <laughs> Joke around, but I've got that. I've got that too. I've got that connection with God too. So pray like you're God's favorite. It doesn't, now I'm not saying this isn't like, the difference when, between when Jessica told the Lord that is that she doesn't need that Yukon to keep loving him. And she's, her life and happiness is not hinged upon having that Yukon. And so when it turns into an idol, that's why it's all about the heart. When it turns into an idol is when, like, I need this. Like, this is, we need this. Now, we did that. I've told you all about our house in Fort Worth. That's, we got into that where we're like, we, we got to have a house. All our friends have houses, and this we're about to have a child. So you got to have a house if you got a child. We got three youngins in one room right now. So it's like it doesn't have to be anything. So God is not concerned with inexperience or being untested. He's just concerned about purity of heart. And that's what Mary carried, that she was virgin of heart. That's like a prayer, actually, that I pray and out of Song of Songs. And from Mary, is just that, Lord, get, make me virgin of heart, like clean and pure. But that's how Mary, Mary was good soil for the seed of God's word. So God births salvation, which is Jesus' name, Yeshua, out of impossible circumstances. There's going to be a lot of wordplay this morning. It's like when Jesse and Phil do Hebrew feasts, and it's like there's just stacks and stacks of like metaphors. You're just like, whoa. All right, there's going to be a lot of that kind of stuff this morning. So being overshadowed by God. So God births promises in us 
by planting his seed in us, okay? And he will watch over or overshadow his word to make sure it comes to pass. So his word is his seed, okay? I'm going to explain that a little more. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12 says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. That's a good thought. That's a good thought. Jesus, you're watching over your word over my life to perform it, to make sure it comes to pass. So God's word is his seed. Jesus is the word of God, the seed of God. So the word seed in the New Testament is actually the word sperma, where we get the word sperm from, where reproduction happens. The prom- so it, it's the seed or the, the, of God, the promise of God, all right? Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, sperma, is referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. Okay? So it's just talking about Christ being in Abraham's lineage. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, not perishable seed, not a word that is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So you see the connection between seed and word, right? Okay. So Holy Spirit incubator. Mary was impregnated, so to speak, with the word of God, both figuratively and literally. Gabriel said, you're going to have a baby and he's going to be the savior of the world. He's going to establish the throne of his father, David. It was this word that got inside of her. And, she, but, and then she, for Mary, she literally birthed the word of God. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with us. And, his name, and Jesus' name is the word of God. So the word of God was birthed from a word of, from God. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, God on earth incubates and watches, watches over his word to perform it as it's gestating in our hearts. And so you just, you get a word from the Lord. You receive it like Mary did with faith, with belief, believing that God's bigger than you. And the Holy Spirit watches over that word to make sure it's performed. One of the things that I used to do with prophetic words was, oh, I'm put, I got to start I got a word, I'm an evangelist. I got to start being a blazing, head-on-fire evangelist right now. I need to start holding many crusades. No, it's like God will make it come to pass in his timing. Now, it may happen six months after that. It may happen six years after that. It doesn't matter. You just are obeying the Lord today, and you'll, you'll be there. That's all, that's all you got to worry about. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, even your prophetic words. And it's good, you know, even with my prophetic words, I'll take them out and look at them to encourage me, to refresh me. But I'm not trying to make them happen. Okay, I've, there's everyone in here probably, you know, hopefully you have a word of your life that you can't accomplish in your own strength. Hopefully. I mean, God's going to have to show up. And when he shows up, it's good. All right? So what promises or words from God 
are gestating in your heart or, or being developed in your heart right now? I want you to think about that for just a, a moment. What promises or word has God given you that is currently being incubated? Because right now, as you sit here thinking about that, God is looking over that word to make sure it's performed in your life. And sometimes we don't like, we don't like the timing. God's never early, but he's always on time. Have you ever heard that? It's a Graham Cook quote that I've used all my whole Christian life. But he's, he, God, he misses a lot of chances to be early, but he's always on time. So if you don't have one, ask God right now what he wants to do for you. It could be like, I want to give you boldness like you've never had before. That could be a promise. So in Luke, later on in Luke chapter 1, Mary receives the word from Gabriel. And she's, her response is she worships God upon receiving the promise. Her, her worship invited the presence of God to incubate that seed. She believed faith, hope, and love. That's what belief is, consists of, the word as it had already come to pass. She, was like, she started worshiping God. She's like, thank you that you've looked upon me, your humble maidservant, and you're going to do this thing. And she, you know, and the angel assured her before she started worshiping, he said, nothing's impossible with God. I know you're a virgin, <laughs> but you're going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So there's no separating God's word from his presence when you believe it. So I, I don't like talking about, we're, I believe in the word and the spirit. I understand what people are saying when they say that. I used to say it, but I think it's a little confusing God doesn't separate his spirit from his word. Now, the Pharisees knew, had the Old Testament memorized. So what was the difference? Why did they, could not, why could they not recognize the manifest presence of God on the earth, Jesus? Even though they knew the word of God, the written word of God, the Old Testament. It's because it wasn't coupled with faith. They, didn't believe, they knew that word. They didn't believe that word. And so when you believe that God's going to do what he says he's going to do, his presence is there. His presence is not separated from his word. His presence is not separated from his promise. Because Jesus is the word. He is the, he is the manifestation of the Father of the Godhead on earth, on earth in bodily form when he was here. He's coming back. So to be hidden in Christ, this is what it means to be hidden in Jesus Christ, the word of God. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, the word of God, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So this is painting another picture of housing that word, just letting that word incubate in you. 
meditating on it, whatever, declaring it, believing it. And Jesus says, it will be done for you when you do that. That's how we abide. Because have you ever wondered, like, how do I abide in God? It's, kind of, it's a very general term. You know, how do you do that? Well, it's like you, part of it is you take action with it. We talk about declaring, like letting God's word come out of your mouth. You make declarations. It's like, God, you promised to give me courage to take, to take my, to receive my inheritance. You promised me that I would have boldness. You promised me that there's no condemnation in Jesus. You promised me that you're not ashamed. You told me that you never leave me. You never forsake me. You told me when I proclaim the gospel, there's going to be power. And so you, you pray these things. You talk to God about these things. And then abiding in it means you step out on that word. God, you promised me that I would have power from the gospel. So Zach's got a bum knee. I'm going to pray for his bum knee. Because you said you would heal people. Okay? You know, I've had... I've had clients that don't know Jesus that I've prayed for. One client is, uh, you know, he is, doesn't really want a whole lot to do with Jesus at all. We have a great friendship. But I've prayed for injuries that he's had probably over 25 times. He's never gotten healed. I've had other clients pray for the first time they get healed. And I'm like, God, this guy needs the healing. But it's not going to, that's what my mind thinks. But I don't, I don't have the wisdom that God has. I don't know what it's going to take necessarily to harvest this guy. And so I'm just, I'm just doing what I believe. I was like, God, you said you heal people. I've seen you heal people. So I'm just going to keep praying. So I keep praying for him. And he appreciates it. And it's, it's, I've said this before. Sometimes people don't need the healing as much as they need to know. See somebody actually believe what they believe. Walk out what they believe. And so they, sometimes people need to see a Christian believe that Jesus heals. It's not even the manifestation of, it, of the healing that maybe they need to see. They just need to see somebody who's trying, who's not hypocritical. So abiding in Jesus means, means to stay current in God. It means daily bread. Okay? We don't live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's why, like, hearing God's voice is so critical. Hearing it is, uh, we need, you need to listen. You need to spend time listening to the Lord. Because I, the other day, I was just talking to the Lord, and he said, Travis, it changed my whole paradigm when he spoke this to me. He said, Travis, sons don't pick fathers, fathers pick sons. And it changed the whole way I was like relating uh, about the, in this situation. And I was just like, wow. And now it's like, it's on my mind all the time. So when God just spoke that, it, it completely changed the way I see things. It doesn't matter. So for me, what I took away from that is like, it doesn't matter how anybody's acting. It doesn't matter how Daniel acts. It doesn't matter how Phil acts. It doesn't matter how anybody acts. It's not going to change my response to them. Okay? Because I get to pick who I treat like sons, and that's going to be every person that I come across. 
And so that's the way, that's the way God does. So being overshadowed means being hidden, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That word hidden is the word crypto, which is where you get the, we get the word crypt from. It's the place where you bury the dead. So for you have died and your life is in the crypt with Christ and God. To be overshadowed means to be hidden. You and your agenda can't be found anywhere. That's what it means to be hidden. I can't find Travis's agenda. Where is it? I can't find Travis. All I can see is Jesus. A death to self must take place in order to believe the promise of God. Agenda and pride must die. So in the kingdom, death is the place of rest. That's why Jesus said he's only asleep. It's the place where you experience the resurrection power of God. So Mary had to die to what she thought life would look like and the overwhelming inadequacy one must experience when you're told that you will birth the impossible, the Savior of the world. Because she thought she was just going to have a nice life with Joseph. And then she's entrusted, you're going to raise the Savior of the world. We're trying to raise sinful kids. That's daunting. Trying to raise the sinless one. I mean, you just, woo. I mean, Mary, Mary's flesh moment in the Bible was when Jesus hung around back in the temple. Now, I would get in the flesh about this too. They're walking back. Back in that day, you traveled in caravans, and they were going back to Nazareth from Jerusalem. <laughs> and after a couple of days, this is, where they, this is old school. This is old school because this is when you send kids outside and they don't return for 12 hours. You have no idea where they've been. This is, this is the way my parents were raised, and I was raised kind of that way. So there's, uh, you know, I hadn't seen Jesus a couple of days, nothing to worry about. And then they're in the caravan. They're going back to Nazareth. They're like, where's Jesus at? Now, me and Jessica would have been like, all right, Zuri, Lydia, Josiah, they're all here. Okay, let's go back to Nazareth. They were just like, they just got in a big group, and they're starting to walk back two days out. They're like, where's Jesus? They're like, he's in Jerusalem. We left him in Jerusalem. They go back, like, Jesus, where? They find him in the temple. What are you doing? It's like, don't, did you know I've been in my father's house? They're like, of course. We uh, stand corrected. Come on, son. You know, but, you know, they, they're messing up. They're in their flesh, but. There was grace. There was grace. God knew, he, he knew that he was giving Jesus two imperfect earthly parents. <laughs> Encourage all you parents out there and soon, soon to be parents or whenever. Over, so overshadowed equals being hidden. Yeah, yeah. Being overshadowed means being hidden so no one sees you unless God wants them to. This is part of the awakening, what the awakening is called, uh, or excuse me, what God has called the awakening to. I, 11 years ago, the Lord said, Travis, I want you to be my Delta Force soldier. I was like, yeah, God, come on. Black ops, baby. 
And then he was like, are you okay with not being seen? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess. So nobody's going to know how many bad guys I kill? Nope. And so it's not even necessarily that I won't be seen. It's that are you, Jesus, or the Lord said, are you okay with not being seen? Because that's what you have to be to be hidden. Where you, there's, you say something, you're at works, you do something that blesses the company, somebody else got praise for it. You're like, okay, I did that for you, Jesus. Because I work is unto you. And I trust you that you're the promoter. Okay? Jessica had that recently at work where she was, you know, just had some, she was doing these jobs and, and uh, somebody else basically, I guess, kind of got the credit for it. But Jessica was like, yeah, Lord, bless him. <laughs> you know, she, at first it was like, hey, wait, 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 that's, I kind of did that. But then she just pulled back and was like, you know what, Lord, My, I'm in your hands, not in man's hands. The devil won't chase you into the holy of holies. That's why worship is a great, is great warfare. Because all you do is lift up the majesty of Jesus. When Jesus is high and lifted up, when the majesty, the kingship, the sovereignty, the lordship is lifted up, everybody does this when they see Jesus. It's king, including the devil. That's what your worship does. When you come in here and you worship, Graham Cook, this is funny, and this might freak a few of you out. Graham Cook was in Mexico years ago, and uh, he was in this, his room, and these demons manifested in front of him, and they were trying to uh, torture him or, or just speak lies to him. And he, put on, he just put on some worship music. He started worshiping, and he pleaded the blood of Jesus around the room so they, they, the demons couldn't leave. And as he worshiped, they were like, oh, they're like, it's burning my ears. It's burning. They were crying out, let us go, let us go. He's like, nope. You came into my room, this is what you get. And he just worshiped, and he basically tormented the demons for a couple hours, he said. And then he let them go. And that's a totally different way to see demons. That's a totally different way to see warfare. They're not, you're there to torment them because they've already been judged. There's no saving, you know, there's no saving them. They are the enemy. So you get to inflict early judgment on them. You can literally be hidden by God. Sadhu Sundar Singh, anybody ever heard of him? He was a, around the turn of the uh, 20th century, man in India that lived Life like a uh, sadhu, okay? And a sadhu is the holy man of the Sikh uh, religion in India. It's like a form of Hinduism. The Sikhs are the guys that wear the turbans, okay? That's the Sikh religion. 
But the holy, the sadhus were the holy men. They lived in the woods. They lived like ascetic lifestyle. And uh, so all, he was a sadhu in, in lifestyle, but he was a sold-out ambassador of Jesus. And so all he had was a robe and like his belongings in a bag. But he would preach. He preached to a, uh, a mob of Hindu people, and they were going to kill him. And he was up on a stage. And there is just, he was up right here. They're like, we're going to kill you. We're going to like, seize him, get him, get him. He like walked off the stage and he just went like this through the crowd. Everybody's like looking at the stage. He just walked right through him out, out the back door. They couldn't see him. Jesus, when he said, when he preached Isaiah 61 in the synagogue, and he said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, they knew he's, he's claiming to be the Messiah. They grabbed him. They're about to throw Jesus over a cliff. He's, Angel just kind of took those guys' hands off of him. Jesus just walked, walked through. It said he walked through the midst, is what it said, and left. And, the, you know, they're just like, thumb over. Wait, that was Bob. That wasn't Jesus. That was, sorry, Bob. You know, but so Sadhu Sundar Singh Sapraza Satole. Y'all, some of y'all got to hear Sapraza. He was in uh, Mozambique. There was riots going on in the city. He was in an alley, cornered. He was no way out. In a mob with machetes, guns were coming at him. He was about to be killed. He said he just grabbed hold of his Bible and held it against his chest and just said, Father, I'm, I'm ready take care of my family and when he opened his eyes he was on a, the balcony of a hotel on the other side of the city and there was people inside the lobby like having tea and cake and he was just transported so you can literally be hidden by God when Elijah outran the chariot and he had to run about 40 miles per hour he literally ran 40 miles per hour Imagine Elijah versus Usain Bolt, and Usain Bolt getting smoked. So, like, that's Elijah. So, I had another uh, just story I want to share about hiddenness is I was just in, uh, actually in a ministry time I was being ministered to, but uh, I had a vision. I was fighting a battle with Jesus. And we were facing it. It looked very much like this crowd around this angel of the Lord here. And then you just, I'm just working real hard. I'm just like, you know, flip on the ground. And everything Josiah does over there. And uh, I was just like, man, these guys are just like, they keep coming. And I looked over to see what Jesus was doing, and he was just watching me like this. He kind of, he's doing this. And I was like, I went, Jesus, why aren't you fighting? He said, I can't fight with you way over there. And I said, but I want to fight for you, Jesus. I want to fight for you. I want to kill some bad guys for you. 
I want to do this for you. And Jesus just stood there. He's just like, sorry, buddy. And uh, I said, Jesus, why aren't you fighting? He says, you, he said, you're way over there. And he said, you've got to be in me. And I said, no. <laughs> I, said, that was really, I said, no, I want to fight for you. But what the really, what the issue was, is I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be seen. And I finally, in that vision, I said, okay, I'm coming, Jesus. And he was standing there, and I came from behind him, and I stepped into Jesus, and I disappeared. And when I did that, Jesus started waylaying the enemy. It was like one swing, like 10 guys flew back. And he was just... And it was slaughter. And that was the end of the vision. But I did not, in that vision, I didn't like the fact that I wasn't going to be seen. And that was the death. And so this was a few years after what the Lord spoke to me. He's like, are you okay with not being seen? And that's the question for each and every one of us, to be hidden in Christ. It means, are you okay with not getting the glory? Are you okay with not being seen? Are you okay with being overshadowed? Because that's, it's truly a death and a resurrection. And you're, you're, you die with Jesus and you're raised up in Christ. You are in Christ. It's not just like great Bible speak. It's, that's, you're in Jesus. So the core purpose of being overshadowed by God is to know that God is bigger than you. This is like really, sounds really simple, but we, we sometimes forget this. God is bigger than you. Many people believe God is good. He's just really small. God is, and so I'm going to talk about like, when we see God with an honest heart, his plans can't be thwarted. You know, as a, as a pastor, we, we talk to a lot of people, we counsel a lot of people, and one of the things that commonly comes across our path is like people are afraid about the decision they're going to make. Really, really afraid that if they make the wrong decision in this circumstance, it, the plan is going to the pot, toilet, commode, and there's no going back. It's ruined. And I understand that because that's part of the grow, growing in God. It's part of growing up in God. Because I, I used to think that way too. Until God just was like, watch this, son. So, I, you know, I believed a lie that I wasn't going to marry Jessica. I, I broke up with her three months after dating. I'm the, I was the bad guy. And uh, but Lord, the Lord actually spoke to me said, you need to break up with Jessica the same weekend in October, the year 2000. Was um, That same weekend, God told Jessica, Travis is your husband. And we both heard from the Lord. How confusing is that? So I go break up with Jessica. And as I was walking out of her apartment, I heard this voice said, you will not marry this woman. 
I heard it just like that. And it felt like somebody just poked me in and said, you will not marry this woman. And I was so young in the Lord, I didn't know that God's voice doesn't accuse, that it doesn't bring shame. And I was like, okay, who's talking about marrying? I just broke up with her. I said that. And uh, so Jessica and I became friends. And out of, after that, for us, the dating title brought all the walls down. I mean, when we got rid of that, it brought all the walls down. And that was for us. Some people were fine with the dating title. It doesn't, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying for us, we were real. So she got raw Travis, I got raw Jessica. Because we're not, we're not trying, we're not dancing around. Ooh, this is how boyfriends act. This is how girlfriends act. <laughs> oh, I'm supposed to like hold the door. You know, now I'm like flatulating in front of her. I just defended some of y'all. But, uh, you know, I'm just like, who cares? And she's like, who cares? But in that place is whenever we became really good friends. And so for a year and a half, that process, we became closer and closer until eventually we went from being friends to getting married. And because we, God knew, it was like, I needed to marry my best friend. I didn't need to marry the girl that I dated for me. The, the, the words don't get hung up on the language. And so <clears throat> I believed a lie for a year and a half. Jessica, had, I told Jessica twice, I was like, I don't, I don't think we're going to get married. I think we're just great friends. I told her that twice. And then when I did get engaged with her, she said, you know, she, she had permission and it was, the way to honor me, but she told me, God told me you were going to be my husband. And at one point, she told God, she's like, God, you can have that promise back. He don't have, he didn't have to be my husband. I'm good. And after that was, I, was when I started to make progress. I started to get my eyes opened up, but she had to let go of it. She had to let go of that promise and see that God would watch over it to perform that word. And he did, despite me believing in a lie, despite her trying really hard to make it happen, God still had his way because we were seeking him with an honest heart. We were like, God, we, this is confusing. We don't know what's going on, but we give it to you. And he had his way. So I'm here to tell you, God is bigger than you. That should encourage you. John Sanford, he was, uh, if you don't know John Sanford, he founded Elijah List. He pioneered the prophetic movement. He's like 91 now. But he was pastoring a church in Idaho and playing basketball, just shooting hoops with one of his uh, people who went to his church. And he's getting back in his car, and that, that community was a coal mining community. And the Lord said, pray, there's about to be an accident in the coal mines. And he was learning how to be a prophet at that time. And he just thought it was his, his head. He was just like, nah, that's just me. Next day, he finds out there was an accident in the coal mines and nine people died. And he said for a week, he was on his knees before the Lord. 
repenting. He's like, Father, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Why did I not listen to your voice? Just beating himself up over and over. And it was, it was sad, you know. And he, just, for, he said for seven days, you know, he, he like fasted for seven days, just didn't get off the ground because of the grief and the sorrow. And he said, on the seventh day, the Lord said, John. And he went, yes, Lord. He said, you're not that important. <laughs> and what, what was God meaning by that? What he meant was like, John, I'm still going to have my way. I'm still sovereign. I'm still good. I can still win with this situation. I'm big. <laughs> You're not. And it, get, and it gave him peace that he needed. It's just that, you know what, God's, his, the universe is not hinged on my obedience. God's just going to make it work another way. The obedience for us is getting the, the blessing of participating with God. So believing, I told that story, I have my words, I've put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, you are my people. So this, this scripture is painting a picture of hiddenness as well. So being overshadowed means you're content with living in a place of mystery. You don't understand, it's confusing. And when you live in someone's shadow, you can't see everything because you're enveloped in that person's shadow. Just imagine like, Kezia standing in Daniel's shadow. She can't see what's behind him. She doesn't know what's, if anything's coming down the road. She's just in her daddy's shadow. But it's a safe place. That's the same way with the Lord. We stand in his shadow. We can't see everything. Sometimes things are a mystery, but we still trust. The good thing about God's shadow is his shadow is light. The reason you can't see in God's shadow is because you're blinded by the light. Paul Manwaring says, sons and daughters have self-confidence without self-promotion, freedom without independence, and inheritance without entitlement. This is being overshadowed. This is being hidden. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. In his shade, I took great delight and sat down, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He has brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me, is love. So this overshadows living from a place of rest. The trees of the forest, rep trees in the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, usually are symbolic of man or the pride of men. That's why in Psalm 29 it says, break the cedars of Lebanon. Yes, Lord, break the cedars. It's like saying, break the pride of man. The voice of the Lord can bring the most proud man to his knees in a moment. One word from the Lord, like I was, like I was praying, turn the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to a follower of Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar, the most prideful, arrogant, demigod-thinking man in that time, thought he was a god. So trees of the forest can be a reference to great men of history, you know, even men that changed the course of history, but Jesus stands alone among these great men of history. Rest is the place of fruitfulness. When we rest in the shade of Jesus' tree, the cross, we rest 
in the accomplishments of Christ. So you need to rest in what Jesus has accomplished for you. Access to the Father, freedom from sin, no shame, no condemnation, power, power, love, the fruits of the Spirit, so many more. So just to recap, Mary was overshadowed by God. She believed the word of God spoken to her. She remained hidden in Christ. She believed God to accomplish the impossible. She, she learned to live in the mystery. That she, bad English right there. She was learned to live in the mystery. She lived from a place of rest. She believed God was bigger than her or her circumstances. And so I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to uh, take up the tithe and offering. But being overshadowed by God is a, uh, it's an active thing in the, in the sense of I'm believing the word God has spoken over me. I'm believing what he says in his word. Like everything, the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. You take any promise in this Bible as a prophetic word, <laughs> as a word from God, this is going to happen in my life, okay? And you, and you abide in that word. Just think of Mary. She received a word. She rejoiced in it. She waited. But it came, but the, the words came out of her mouth where God had spoken to her. The Holy Spirit incubated that word, that seed. So, Father, I just pray that, that we would take your word, we would eat it, and it would become the joy and the delight of our heart, Father. That we would learn not to live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from your mouth, Lord. We believe that the voice of the Lord is the, is the, the most powerful force in the world. Father, it shakes the heavens, it shakes the wilderness, it breaks the cedars, Lord. It causes the deer to calf and makes everything in your temple cry out glory. So, Father, we ask that we would hear your voice and obey your voice, God. Hear your voice and obey your voice. Thank you, Father. Amen.